0: Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to The War Room. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Mark, how are you doing?
1: I am happy and healthy and ready to share insights that are going to make people wealthy.
0: Hey, Yes, uh, we can see on your background, you've got the Nimble C-Suite and the Nimble Company. I'm-
1: yeah, they're also in the foreground too, two books better together. So,
0: <laughs> And then in case you didn't know, there's another one. Someone behind you pulls out another book.
1: <laughs> That's it. There you go.
0: A uh, question that we love to open the show with is actually asking if you come from a family of entrepreneurs or like working professionals, creatives...
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, my grandparents were farmers, which are the ultimate entrepreneur because they put everything on the line every year. And they never know if it's going to be paid off or not. And uh, my grandparents said, let's not put so much on the line every year. And they built a series of cottages on a lake in Minnesota. And so they turned it into a summer business versus having to rely on the rain to guarantee their success. My father was a physician in private practice. He was an entrepreneur. And many, many, many other, others in my org, in my family have been entrepreneurs, but, which is really helpful, isn't it? Because if you come from an, a family that, that says it's okay to take chances to strike out and to not have to have a, a steady paycheck or benefits or health insurance to get you going, then there's a lot less holding you back.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the only way to really put it man and i'm i'm glad that you took the time to break it down like that because most people take for granted that uh you know life is supposed to just always be you know success up up and up but only entrepreneurs know the truth and only the people who risk it all and and, and bear and take on all that and so it's it's really interesting to hear that that was your perspective was it early on that you caught on to that sort of attitude in your in your upbringing
1: well, you know, anybody who goes to college believes they're going to come out and get a job, and I, <laughs> I have two college degrees, and so I was well inculcated with that belief that I'll get hired and, and everything will be happily ever after. And uh, after five years in the corporate world, I had I was leaning with my head up against the the cool wall as I was relieving myself, saying, "Why the hell am I here? <laughs> These people and I have nothing in common." And so I joined an entrepreneurial organization as the director of sales. And two years later, that same feeling overtook me. Why the hell am I here? And so in 1990, I became officially unemployed and I've been graciously self-unemployed ever since. And so I think part of that is how do we make that transition from what we're trained to do to what we love to do for those of us that have been through the school route and Um, what I did is took the pieces of the training that supported the pieces that I loved and through some very loving mentorship was able to create a career that has now spanned 32 years. I've made millions of dollars, lost millions of dollars. But, you know, I'm sitting here happy and healthy and just enjoy to hang out with people that have brilliant ideas and share those ideas.
0: Yeah, man, I can hear it. I can hear from the way you said that that there is probably won't fit into this con- into this podcast conversation, but there is a whole journey that took <laughs> <place> to, <laughs> to, to, to making that a reality. So maybe we can uh, just cut into a slice here uh, sure. because, because it is, it is back there. We're talking about the nimble C-suite and the nimble company. Where's the idea of nimbility first come to, to you in terms of like in regards to professional work life?
1: well you know the fundamental started off with some work i've been doing i've been helping high-tech companies sell disruptive technology for three decades disruptive technology is that technology that once you use it you never go back to doing it the old-fashioned way and i've helped them sell billions and billions of dollars in household names in the technology world and along the way what i figured out is how to sell very expensive things very quickly to um To the executives of the organization and it has to do with their temperament every executive has a different temperament which is a different view of the world and i wanted to bring this idea of understanding how executives think uh, to each other because they were always in conflict with each other and it's because they didn't understand and appreciate the differences that they brought allowed the company to be highly functional and since I'm not a psychologist, I didn't have the cred to bring the psychological market to model. So I joined forces with Dr. David Gruder, an extraordinary psychologist. He's the, he is the uh, Mr. Integrity, helping people create uh, organizations with uh, integrity that are profitable. And as we came together this was really the beginning of uh, the insanity of the past several years of COVID. We said, we need to take this and extend this concept of temperament to how do people be resilient in these crazy times? How do we look at these people that are extremely successful and look at their extensions of their worldview that allow them to do this? And so that's how we identified this concept that we called nimbility. Fundamentally, nimbility is the intersection of resilience and innovation. And it's more than just being agile. And it's more than just being resilient. It's that those two things glued together that allow them to surf the chaos that faces the world. And to be nimble, partially you have to be okay with uncertainty. You have to be okay not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, but being okay with you'll figure it out enough today that tomorrow will probably, you'll figure it out tomorrow.
0: Right. quintessentially the, uh, the driving force of every entrepreneur. <laughs> will figure it out. <laughs>
1: we'll figure it out. That's yeah.
0: right. Right on, man. Okay. I can see where that's going. So then how, how is this, Turned over for you uh, now. We're what coming up on our fourth year post COVID, right?
1: <laughs> well, I, I sure feels like it. It's not quite <laughs> feels but, like it uh, is.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's
1: yeah. that's right. It, it sure as heck does feel like it is. Uh, well, the, the well the, the end result, of course, is we've those who have harvested the wisdom of that worldwide upheaval will be be much 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 better for it. And some of the impacts of this is that uh, relationship is coming back to business. We missed each other so much during the times when we were forced to separate. And and, uh, and the only way we could see each other face-to-face was through something like this media. And what I'm seeing is a return to true relationships, and it's such a delight. And what's that? what that's driving is a transition from the experience economy, which has been the primary source of revenue for the past decade, to the transformational economy. In the experience economy, people are purchasing uh, memorable events. And, of course, that shows up in, in Las Vegas, and uh, all of social media is about uh, that experience economy and, uh, where, where people buy things just because, hey, this is really cool. And what they're transitioning to is the tran- is the transformation or the purpose economy, where what people are purchasing is meaningful. We're getting back to meaning. I had a conversation last night with a woman who helps people um, do tours of restaurants, and they tell the story behind the food. And it's about meaningful meals. It's not just about sating your hunger. It's about having meaning behind what it is that you're putting into your body and those that brought that to you. That's a really great example of a transformational experience.
0: Very interesting. Interesting. I uh, I didn't I didn't think about how much that trend is starting to take place, but as you say that, all kinds of things are connecting in my head. Uh, that that's how you do business, man. You got to stay on top of where things are going. Uh, yes. And I can see that uh, this is something that I think may be a trait that's come along in the, the theme of your life, constantly being able to observe what's going on and, and being at the edge of that and how that's helped you transition time after time after time. Before I go any further, I want to make sure I check in with Jason to hear his reflections on all the things that you've been sharing so far, because I know he's got some serious thoughts about that.
2: I do and I think it's interesting some of the things you bring up because some of those when we talk about like experiences and things of that nature right and and how the market shifted so so much in the last 2 years hell even the last 6 months um how everything has shifted so drastically and how people are being so creative in doing things that you know, like, uh I, I just remember years ago, I went on a experience, right? And I got to fly a helicopter and do all these things. And and that was really cool, right? And so somebody thought of that idea, obviously, that owned a helicopter. And it was just their private helicopter. And they were making money doing it. Where a lot of people now, after COVID, right, came up with all these fantastic ways to do things and make money and be nimble, right. And be, uh, be very creative and not have to work for the man. Right. And it was, it was kind of a forcing function that happened. And, and now it's changed our whole economy to the gig economy and all these different things that are happening and businesses are being born out of of uh, Lyft drivers and all these different things now and how the markets change, but it shows how, uh, you know, agile and nimble we are as people, right? Uh, Because if we if something happens, we tend to figure it out. Most people, not everybody, but most people tend to figure it out. Um, the the majority probably. So I, I think it's interesting how you've connected all of that to, uh, to the marketplace today. It's very cool.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Well, I, I didn't really Connect the dots and call it this marketplace. That they're actually broadly, it's broadly being recognized, and uh, yeah. it's expected for the transformational economy where people are buying um, this concept. And it actually has three prongs: it's make it better, make me better, make us better. And it, that's identified as going to be a, a trillion-dollar business next year, where people are purchasing a better lifestyle, a more purposeful lifestyle, a more meaningful lifestyle. And we, you know, we see that with, in so many different ways. Uh, Peloton essentially sold a transformational um, exercise bike. It changed the way that you saw a stationary bicycle by creating this involvement with other people and creating connection with other people where you could, in COVID, ride together uh, in the safety of your home. It's a transformational experience. And so what we're talking about in these books is how do you capitalize on that? How do you reorganize your company so that you can deliver a transformational experience? Because um, if you're working with an, uh, with a group of people that desire transformation, they tend to be more empathic than those who don't. Just think about that for a minute.
0: Interesting. You're,
1: In your experience, people that are looking to be better tend to be more empathic because they connect with people better. And if you do not deliver authentically, empaths will detect it and they will reject you forever. So we can't run the the risk of using manipulative techniques that were commonly used in the past to market, to sell, to produce products because our marketplace... Will detect at a level that you may not even understand, and will reject you, and it's going to tank your company. Isn't that crazy?
0: This is a really fascinating conversation because I, while I don't like to use generalizing terms like millennial, I I was born in nineteen eighty nine, and giving away my age here and. There's been a stark difference between how I see the world, how I consume things, uh, and even how I chose jobs and careers in my life over the years. And all of it had a lot to do with, can I get along with this person? More More than anything else, it was quite literally, is this even a good person? Whereas other people are, other people, uh, which also ties back to the work. Does this work make me a good person? Does it have meaning, right? Because what everybody else sees is they don't believe in hard work. They don't want to. They don't want to do X, Y, Z. And you know, there may be some truth to it for a lot of people. Just want to get the easy ride, but also it's because that activation isn't there for them, right? For people in in my demo, if you will, it's a lot. It's a lot of that.
1: I raised five of you, so it's all good. <laughs> I take responsibility for completely screwing them up, too. It's, uh, so I completely understand and have a deep empathy for that change. And I was born 30 years before you were, so that gives away my age. <laughs> And the, uh, the, the end result is that because of the environment we lived in, the, the political environment, the economic environment, we ended up with slightly different viewpoints. But uh, I have attempted to keep my viewpoint as close to possible to what the general population is, understanding there is no one right way. And that allows me to connect dots that others may not see. And, and All right, and enough of that self-aggrandizement. The, uh, the the truth of the matter is that people don't want to work hard because it's been modeled on television. You know, my kids grew up watching Disney shows. And and none of the kids on that they saw on TV really worked. There was no hard work whatsoever. It was all easy work. And while I'm saying that's not the reason why they grew up that way, it certainly has an influence. Yet, I also think it's entirely appropriate for people to say, we don't have to work hard anymore. We have automation. We have uh, artificial intelligence. We have robots. We have so many different tools that allow us to separate our livelihood from the mechanics of our body. But then what it allows us to do is to work smart, and it allows us to, to work at a very high level of cognitive capacity. And... And I have adopted that in my life. I went from working hard to not working very much at all. But most of the work is done mentally before I sit down and crank out what people think is an astounding amount of content in a very short time. But no, the work was done before I sat down. And so I think there's that shifting. And and millennials are really good at that. They're really good at thinking things through. And then they'll take action when they're inspired to take action, which in my opinion is the way to live.
0: Man. Okay. So there's this, this conversation definitely took a deeper turn than I think I originally intended, but for, for the right audience too, because a lot of the people that we're looking to speak to is specifically in that place right now, whether they're on the, on the fence about getting into business at all, whether they're in business right now and have no idea how to make it mean more than just the day-to-day grind or whether it's a senior pro, you know, C suite executive just going, What's my next target? Because any entrepreneur that I've ever interviewed couldn't retire if they tried.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're they're paying themselves seventy thousand dollars an hour if you take a look at that's but in the assessment I've made. Most entrepreneurs work extremely hard, they underpay themselves, they end up paying themselves about seventy grand a year. Um and the idea is hopefully they'll make enough money when they ultimately sell the company to pay back all of that hard sweat equity investment, but most of them never, ever get there. And that's not necessary. You don't have to do it that way. There's so many new ways of, of partnering with other people. And you don't have to do it all and you don't have to work 70 hours. In fact, I, th- I think that 70 hours is what destroys entrepreneurs because they end up burning all their cognitive capacity, which is the most important asset that we have. Our capacity to, to figure stuff out, our ability to think and to, um, and to handle complexity. And you don't get that working 70 hours we only have maybe three, maybe four hours a day of high quality cognitive capacity where we can handle complexity. And after that, it kind of boils down and people get burnt out and frustrated and foggy. And and it, you have to recognize that that's just the way our brains are wired. And as people like myself age to the sage, there's even less cognitive capacity. And so I guard those hours uh, very, very uh, carefully and use them for the highest quality possible work.
0: Yeah, man. Now, Jason and I have talked about this on a number of occasions. How many real work hours do we really have? I mean, he himself, yeah. I, I know you've heard, I've heard you say this on a number of occasions, Jason. It's like if my team can get their work done in a certain amount of time and they want to go off and do whatever they want, like great results are what matter, not the time. It's, right on.
1: Like, yeah, right that's on. true. Pay, pay for our outcome, not hours. Yeah, that's it. You know,
0: the,
2: uh, we, most of us have, have, have seen or experienced at some time this, this uh, archaic model of sit in your cubicle and shut up. And if you're not working well, sit there and stare at your computer screen because you just, we got to be there. Right. And it is a very archaic model. And, you know, it's been on its way out for a while. COVID just like accelerated the shit out of it. Right? <laughs> right on. That's that's really what happened. And I always tell people I said you know, people say god, COVID is a terrible thing. I think it was a good thing, really. I mean not for the bad side of it, but I mean for the uh for the business side of things in the long term, it forced Owners of businesses to think differently and think uh, differently how we work, how we do things. Um, And you can be so much productive if you just take all these handcuffs off and, and just function at capacity all the time, because the capacity might only be from nine o'clock to noon, (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's it. Most most people have about four hours of capacity yeah. in them, and and then, and then people like Elon Musk do things to extend it to about twelve hours. But you know that's that's it. And yeah. so save save the tasks that are low cognitive capacity, and you, typically they're physical tasks, uh, for times when you have lower cognitive capacity, and do not burn cognitive capacity on decision making. Uh, early in the day, don't watch the news, don't read social media, because all of those burn cognitive capacity, because you have to think about that, and you have to process it, and you have to decide, what does that mean for me? And instead, you start your day with, okay, what is it? What is the highest and best use for my creative and cognitive capacity in this moment? Now, we're getting philosophical here, but you know, welcome to my world, (laughs)
0: you know i i truly do believe that personal philosophy has an incredible impact on our output in in the world and in just our everyday lives so for me i'm all about i think personal philosophy is really like an operating software right like just, just like someone has windows or mac os or you know uh linux for those who are a little braver Uh, i've never never installed linux in a way that ever fully worked but that's kind of the way life is right (laughs) Um,
1: remember mac ox runs on linux so it's okay it's okay
0: um but one of the things that I, i really do love about this conversation is exactly how much we're asking people to reconsider something that they thought was pretty much set in stone because that's, that's the whole point of being nimble, right? Is about being able to be a leader and and not live up to whatever is going on with just the status quo of what is. Uh, And, and I think this conversation is a welcome one. Uh, So with that said, bottom line, if you had a bottom line to what you're saying for the listener here uh, who is a business owner that is looking at the landscape of the world right now in business, their own industry and going, okay, how am I going to step forward from here? Because coasting is fine, but stepping forward is the point.
1: Well, I'm not so sure coasting is fine because companies that are coasting are crashing and burning faster than ever due to some of the things we've already talked about. And what happens is though, in, in, the, in the midst of chaos, pivot isn't possible because pivot requires an anchor. And in the midst of chaos, what it means is that you have to be able to step into the unknown, to the uncertain, and be able to make decisions in real time that you may have to reverse um, a few days down the road. And that's the nimbility that's required for us to to handle the, the complexity of today's political and marketing and economic and consumer environments. And the sooner that you can gain those skills, we call them upheavals literacy. We had to name it something, and so we might as well invent something nobody ever used before. And upheavals literacy is the term we use. And and in the Nimble Company, we talk about upheavals literacy. There's a very deep chapter in in that that gets you very well started in that. So as, as an entrepreneur, just just in, as somebody living in this in this planet right now that wishes to be successful, you have to become upheavals literate which includes being nimble and eliminating all of the sources of upheaval and chaos in your life that you possibly can so that you can focus your cognitive capacity on those things you can't control.
0: Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you no. know, it,
1: it, even though even though you know the nimble C suite says it sounds like you know you have to have it for a big company. Every one of the C suite functions has to be done by a by an entrepreneur, and so we teach you what those functions are and the mindset that you have to use to, to fulfill that function most correctly, most accurately, most effectively. And then the Nimble Company is all about execution risk. Okay, how do we get rid of all of those sources of upheavals and chaos? And uh, I've never been able to find a a book a really good book on execution risk so we wrote wrote it and we wrote the two together because you need to have a more strategic book and you need to have a more tactical book and the two together for an executive is critical then you can have all of the rest of your managers read the nimble company and so everybody's on the same page and I think that uh, you can also there's audio there's the audio book if you want to get the audio books but uh, I, I suggest them for anybody who is thinking about starting a business because it's a blueprint and anybody who's running a business because it's the map into the transformational economy and what you have to do to make that work.
0: I like this point very much specifically because we were talking about operating softwares earlier. A lot of companies will draft their mission statements and what have you, the workplace culture, and that's fine. And yeah, once it's drafted, nobody ever looks at it again, Right ever. There's something about when I draft my own thing, that's it. And I've even taught courses uh, with an agile trainer for scrum and, 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 and and agile, and we create a workplace agreement, right? And then we go on to teach the course. And then later people get into their breakout groups and right away, everybody forgets everything we just laid down as the workplace agreement or working agreement. And yet there's something interesting that happens if an entire uh, uh, group of people decide they're going to be in a book club. And they read one book and all of a sudden people are like referring back to it and using that as the playbook. And it's weird what happens when someone or in a group has a shorthand, right? Uh, A language they can point back to and say, which is the whole point of a mission statement, what have you, but yet... It always has to be some other third party's book that people actually attach themselves to because people take for granted whatever work they just did to build their own working agreement. So I think it's a really interesting conversation to be having. Uh, Jason, do you have something to say to that?
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, God, there's just, there's so much confusion, right? And, and that's a big part of it. I mean, I work with CEOs every single day. And a lot of them are, they're just so confused on, you know, why are the things not working that used to work? It's like, because the things, world. things change, it's the world's changing and you either get on board or you get out. That's it. Uh, there isn't really much more. It's not rocket science. <laughs> you have to, you have to change with the environment and uh there's just there's so many companies that they're not figuring it out and and they're not figuring it out and they're guess what they're doing they're going out <laughs> crashing, so and
0: they're yeah. crashing and burning
2: they're crashing and burning cuz they can't figure it out and and sometimes it just comes down to the basics right
1: it Back always the, comes, it always yeah. comes down to the basics and nimble C-suite. There's nothing that's shocking about how we lay out what the executives do nothing at all. Yeah, right. They've been, this is the way that you run companies forever. What changes though, is that we define what is the temperament? What is the viewpoint? What is the, the skill set and mindset that is best fitted, best suited for that role.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that you can right fit the right temperament into the role. And then they operate out of their zone of genius instead of struggling. And that really was the intention behind the Nimble C-suite is let's make sure everybody in the organization is as close as possible to their genius zone.
0: Which is like the last thing you need is a CEO who would do much better as a CMO.
1: (laughs) And the last thing you need is a CFO who is a CEO who is going to drive the numbers into the ground because he's not willing to innovate. (laughs) And, and, and we talk about that, you know, how these, the, the temperament, the view of the world are important in a balance. We need to have a balance of, of change and stability, uh, a, a balance of doing and being. And the person who has to orchestrate that balance is the CEO. And otherwise, you have to have, without those four elements, you don't have an organization that can. That can it that can tolerate the current environment. Yeah so.
0: man. No, I, I'm I'm loving this man. Uh with that said, <laughs> I want to take I want to take a quick break to give a shout out to someone that made this episode possible today. Uh we're talking about a company named Scale with Social Selling. They are actually part of our community and there's a listener. And they've uh, they've got a slot here with us. And essentially, if you've ever looked at your calendar and thought to yourself, "Oh, business would be great if I had the perfect prospect," uh, but yet you have a calendar booked with a bunch of people that maybe you delegated to someone who hit you up on LinkedIn, and you're like, "Yeah, sure, I don't know, get me some leads." And we've all had that email in the in, in LinkedIn. Well, it's the opposite of that. Like they they don't they actually take the time to understand what's going on and put you in touch with the right people so that you can have a calendar that looks more like how you want it to look so this is scale with social selling with terry and all you have to do is head over to with try.scalewithsocialsellingsystem.com to find out why this prospecting system is actually something that's going to work for you we were talking about all of this right like how do i move forward and things it's very in line with the spirit of what we're talking about right now with this whole episode and if you tell them the war room podcast sent you they will give you 20 percent off so keep that in mind when you're reaching out to them with that said coming back to you mark where should people go to get in touch with you to grab your books the whole arm and a leg
1: all right this is actually very simple if you've heard something today and you say gee mark you know i'd really like to talk with you i think i think your perspective could really help me out you know, I've I've talked to Jason. The guy's a bozo. He can't help me. I'm just kidding, of course. Absolutely, I I, I do we'll not edit, ever want we'll to. St- we'll edit that out, or or not, or not. We're just having a good time, right? Oh, yeah, I'm just <laughs> but if we can't have a good time, so you gonna know, call me, call me. I'll my invisible phone. Uh, I'll, I'll be delighted to talk to anybody. Seven one nine four four zero zero four three nine seven one nine 440 text me, tell me you saw me on the War Room. I'll be delighted to uh, figure out a time when we can speak. Uh, next is, let's connect on LinkedIn, just like we did here. And Marks on LinkedIn.com, M-A-R-K-S on LinkedIn.com will take you directly to my profile. Say, I we, we, you know, saw me on the War Room and would like to connect, and that's a good way to stay in contact and you know, I'm posting things on a regular basis that you might find interesting. And then you can learn more about the books at media.nimbilityworks.com, nimbilityworks.com, media.nimbilityworks.com. There's links to all of them. They're available from every bookseller, you know, from Barnes and Noble, Amazon, wh- whoever makes you happy. You can go and, and find these books there. They're available in in physical book, print a book, uh, ebook, as well as audiobook. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting the feedback and hearing how you're using the ideas in the Nimble Company, the Nimble C-Suite to be successful. One comment that we've had is that most business books are an article fluffed up into 200 pages, and that's not our book. Our book has been called a blueprint because every page has multiple ideas and there's checklists and questions. and and processes and models. And it's full of ideas and ways to help you organize your chaotic thoughts into something that can make you profitable and successful.
0: Right on. All right. Uh, With that said, there's really only one question left to ask you. It's tradition around here. That's how we close the show. And uh, that is, if you could have invited anybody today, Mark, to this conversation, who would you have loved to have had here and why?
1: I think I would invite P.T. Barnum.
0: From Barnum & Bailey, huh?
1: Well, he was certainly part of that. And I would ask him, PT, you were so good at tapping into the zeitgeist of the world and identifying what they wanted as an entertainer that you changed how we looked at entertainment. And as we make the transition into this transformation purpose-driven economy, what do you see through the lens of a master dot connector that we are missing that will allow us to grab the attention of people who need what we have so that we can serve them perfectly where they are
0: right on it's a good answer i like that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i i like it. no, no it's the first time somebody's brought up a pt in that way I, I think it was only one other business book i've ever even heard his name mentioned and so it's a it's a pretty interesting uh, choice to make uh with that said it's tradition around here for jason to close this out so i'm gonna let him close this out but I, uh thank you for the conversation
1: that's a delight, thank you
2: yeah Mark, geez great conversation it was it went pretty deep which is great and thanks for allowing us to take it deep because uh you know, uh, the deeper you can take these discussions and, and the more you get to learn from them. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for opening up that, uh, brain of yours and dumping that good Kool-Aid all over. Uh, and, uh, we just appreciate you being here.
1: And I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you, Jason.
0: Right on.
2: Cheers. Cheers.